For in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was entirely appropriate that God, for whom and through whom all things exist, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through suffering. For the one who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one Father. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters, saying, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will sing hymns to you in the congregation. Again, I will trust in him, and again, here I am with the children God gave me. This is the word of the Lord. Siblings. Sometimes you love them. Sometimes you hate them. And most of the time, it's both, right? Sibling relationships are pretty interesting. Growing up, I was one of three children. So I was the only boy, and I was right in the middle, okay? So my older sister got all the privileges of being the older sibling. My younger sister got spoiled, and I got nothing. You middle children know how it is, right? Even now, right now as we speak, my mom, who's normally right here on the front row, uh, her and my two sisters are hanging out in Las Vegas, right? On some trip that I didn't even get an invite to. You know, it was one of those trips that you learn about in passing, you know, because they have to tell you they're going to be gone for something and you're just, and they just try to like nonchalantly throw it out there. And then, and then the excuses start coming like, whoa, we would have invited you. We just knew you weren't going to come. And I'm like, well, if you don't ask, you don't know, right? Sounds like a great trip, but whatever. If you have siblings, you know that the relationship can be rocky at times, right? Um, Yeah. In my experience, though, as kids grow into adulthood, as siblings grow, there's something special about their siblings. Now, we live in a broken world. It's not always perfect. Sometimes those relationships can be deeply estranged. But generally, like all the dust of arguing from childhood begins to settle. Um, The petty arguments slowly seem to fade. Everyone learns who's the favorite in the family anyway, so you don't have to fight for it anymore. That's a joke. Hopefully you don't play favorites, but you know. Uh, yeah. And, and normally at some point there's this kind of this sweet relationship and this bond is formed. In the scriptures, the idea of family is more than just a group of people that randomly happen to end up together. Family, as it was originally designed, again, we live in a broken world, but as it was originally designed, family was meant to be a place of wholeness, a place of shalom, peace, and a place of love. And ultimately, all earthly families were pointing to something that was greater. There's something more eternal than the earthly families that God has given us, and that is the family of God. Today in our passage, the preacher of Hebrews is going to begin exploring this idea of family as presented in the scriptures. The work that Jesus did with his life, death, burial, and resurrection is creating not just the new humanity, as we saw last week, but a whole new family, a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, with God as the perfect father, with Jesus as the perfect brother, and with the spirit as the powerful voice that cries out in our hearts that it is all true. And that is the point of our sermon today and the text. Jesus is the true and better brother. He is better than any earthly sibling that you could ever imagine. 
For example, he would never go to Las Vegas without you. If you're watching this on the live stream, I hope you feel bad and you lose all your money. I don't think they're gambling. I don't know. Who knows? All right. Good morning again, church. Um, As always, I am grateful to be here in your midst. Um, It is a joy. As I said earlier, my name is Joel. I'm blessed to just serve as one of the pastors here at New Eden. I've been focusing this week on the spiritual family of God, as you heard read in the text. And so even more than normal, I've been reminded of how sweet our communion is. It is not perfect. It is not because we are anything special, but it is because of the work that the spirit is doing in our hearts and among us. I'm happy to be on board with what God is doing, and I'm glad you all are a part. So we're continuing through the book of Hebrews, as you know by now. As you heard read, today we're in chapter 2, verses 10 through 13. If you want to follow along however you would like to, we'll also have verses on the screen. So we've been reviewing now. I think this is the fourth week. Every week we say it. Major theme of the book is Jesus is better. Let's all say that. Jesus is better. All right. So if in future weeks I say major theme of the book is Look at that. I love it. All right. Awesome. A little bit of feedback. That's good. Not sound guy. Don't freak out. Sorry. I meant like, you know, audience feedback. So if you remember last week, uh, we saw that Jesus is the truly human one who makes this true and new humanity, right? He makes us fully human. And then our preacher just takes that and the flow of thought is it's even more intimate than humanity. It is a brand new family. Jesus makes the people of God a new family and that's the primary lens we're looking at today. And so instead of main points, what I have for us is one main sentence for us today that summarizes the sermon. And what I'm gonna do is break that down to three parts. So this is the sentence, if you're a note taker. Jesus creates a new family, through his suffering, for the good of his siblings, and the glory of God. So we're going to walk kind of through those three parts throughout our sermon, but that is the main sentence. It'll all flow together. And so let's start by looking at the very first part of the sentence. Jesus creates a new family. Right away in our text, what does What are we called? What does the preacher of Hebrews call us? Look at Hebrews 2, the very beginning of verse 10. It says, for in bringing many sons and daughters to glory. The beautiful work that Jesus is doing, the beautiful truth of the work that he is doing is that he did not just go on the path from suffering to glory alone. He is bringing many sons and daughters with him on this journey to glory. And I think this is something that is important for us to remember, right? And I feel like maybe I need to let you like settle in before we like think of these truths so amazing, but they're like right up front in our text. If you're like me, I often forget the beauty of what Jesus has accomplished in the gospel because it seems too good to be true. Look at what he says in verse 11. He says, the one who sanctifies, that's Jesus, and those who are sanctified, that's us, all have one father. This is what the text says. You have the same father as Jesus. The rights, the privileges, the acceptance, the joys, the inheritance, all of it in Christ, you receive everything that Jesus received. And this is what is offered for you in the gospel. 
the God, the same God who we read in our text, through whom and for whom all things exist, right? Big, creator, massive, is your father. And he loves you right now as you are as his son and daughter. No matter what might be true of our earthly fathers, in Christ, we are made sons and daughters of the perfect father who will never leave us nor forsake us. That's good news. I ask my kids a lot, who is your real father? And they say, God. And I say, that's right. Like I get to play this role for this, this small blip on the radar of eternity in your life. And hopefully by God's grace, maybe I'll model a little bit of what the heavenly father is. But you know what I also tell them when I mess it up, which is a lot and I'm apologizing to them. I say, is God like that? Is he petty like that? Is he reactive? No, God is good and under control. He is not like your earthly father. He is so much better. Even the other day, Everly, in a moment of sweetness, because she swings the pendulum, she says, which she's, she's normally like this, but she says, Daddy, you're the best daddy in the world. And Scarlett goes, nuh-uh, God is. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, that's true, but thank you. And then they were, you know, talking about, I said, you know, I'll take it, best earthly father in the world. I'll take that, that title, all right? So sorry, other dads in here. That was just a joke. Uh, yeah, if you had a camera in, in their house. No, anyways, all right. So I want my kids to know that they have God as their true and better father. And so we're reminded of that truth right up front. But not only that, look at the end. Like, I feel like that's one we've, we think about a fair amount, but this is one maybe we don't think about as much. Look at Hebrews 2, 11 at the end of the passage. It says, that is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. I want you to think about this for a second, right? Growing up, maybe you were the one who was embarrassed by your brother or sister, or maybe you were the one they were embarrassed of, right? I don't know which one it was. Maybe you were both embarrassed of each other. But the author of Hebrews is saying that Jesus is not embarrassed or ashamed to call you his brother or sister. And this is wild for me to try to think about and grasp. Like I know my life. I know how much I've messed up. I know how often that I've misrepresented the family name. I know how often I've not lived up to what I want to. And you're telling me that when someone asks Jesus, is he yours? Is he your brother? He's proud of it. He's not embarrassed by it. What? He's like, yeah, yeah, he's my brother. Yeah, that's my sister. Absolutely. It's crazy. Like, all the crap that has happened in my past or present or will happen in my future, you're telling me Jesus is not embarrassed by me. And on the authority of scripture, no, he is not. And I love this because when we begin to grasp this radical acceptance with God as our father and Jesus as our proud older brother, this begins to heal us of not only our sin, but also our pain it holistically deals with us. Jesus is the sacrifice for sin. We're dealing with that. But it's also him dealing with the pain and the rejection, the shame from all the rejection of our past. We've all at some point not been accepted or loved or not been invited or had people who hadn't been there for us. 
Jesus is always there for you. He meets the lonely and gives them a home. And it's not like he's opening and like, okay, I guess you can come in the back door and we'll kind of put you in over here. No, he's like, he's not embarrassed by you at all. This is the family of God. And he will complete the work he started in you. Sometimes it doesn't seem like it, right? Sometimes it's, it's hard and the road is long, but this is God's work. One of the things dripping off the passages of, of these three verses here, four verses here, is like, this is God's work. In verse 10, it is Jesus that is bringing the sons and daughters to glory. In verse 11, Jesus is our brother, but there's a clear distinction between the one who sanctifies and the one who is being sanctified. In verse 12 and 13, the preacher's like, I, 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 ending it with here I am with the children God gave me. Like God is sovereign in the keeping of sinners. He will create this new family. He won't abandon his church, his people. And if this is true, then we should not abandon God's people either. As I was reading through this and meditating on this, I was convicted about the way in which I often view the church with such cynicism. And don't get me wrong, the church absolutely has her flaws. And y'all know that we have no issue calling out hypocrisy, legalism, injustice, abuse. We will call that out. We should absolutely check ourselves and make sure the kingdom we're building is God's kingdom, not our own. We always want to be aware of that. We say all the time, if we're building our kingdom, God, remove us as a church. But the church The church that is dependent on the spirit is still the means of God's restoring work in the world. And so my prayer for us is that by the spirit of God, we could have a hope-filled, God-honoring vision of the church. Jesus will sanctify her, purify her, woo her, win her unto himself. And this truth about God as father, Jesus as brother, it breaks forth not only in my relationship with God, but also into the way I treat my brothers and sisters in Christ that I do life with. How often do I find myself embarrassed or ashamed by others in my church family, right? Or the impatience when those people just don't get it like I do. Right? If they just had the same theological leaning I did, or they just you know, understood this singular issue over here the way I've studied this out, then we would all be better. Do we really view each other, and even ourselves, as brothers and sisters who we can proudly claim as fellow saints whom Jesus is setting apart for his purposes? Because if we want people to be cleaned up, what we're saying is that that's the people that Jesus came for, the ones that have it figured out. And the reality is that's none of us. And so it should be good news that we have a bunch of jacked up, messed up people here just radically leaning on Jesus together. And this isn't easy. It'll require forgiveness and forbearance and long suffering, but it's what Christ does with us. So I'm not saying it's easy. The reality is being a part of a family is hard. Like there's the romanticized like, idealized version that we might portray and see on social media. Like, but the real thing requires sacrifice and pain. There is a death to oneself and one's own desires. 
You can't just get your way. There is a surrender and a submission to others. There are pains and griefs and hurts and sorrows. We are called to be patient and long-suffering. Those are hard words. Bear one another's burdens. I think sometimes we envision that like, you know, going to help somebody carry in the groceries on a nice, sunny, beautiful spring day. Like I'm bearing one another's burdens. The, the reality is it's much more like picking up a wounded soldier, crawling through muck and mud, through dangerous miles of territory to get them the help they need at the risk of your own life. Being a part of the family of God will require sacrifice on the part of its members. But here's the thing, it is worth it. And it's also a hope-filled journey because as we've seen, it is God's work. It is not dependent on you to sanctify the person sitting next to you because good luck, you can't even sanctify yourself, right? This is all about Jesus going first because here's the thing, and here's what I want you to see. I hope you feel a little bit of the weight of that. But Jesus does not call us to the sacrifice of engaging with our spiritual family without first going before us. The goal was a new family. Many sons and daughters brought to glory, but this would not happen and could not happen without great sacrifice. And this brings us to the next part of our sentence. Jesus creates a new family through his suffering. Look at verse 10 again. It says that it was entirely appropriate that God for whom and through whom all things exist should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Here Jesus is referred to as the pioneer of our salvation. It could be translated a number of different ways, the source, the founder, the originator, the captain. It has this this holistic idea of one who goes before, who starts it and clears the way. Last yesterday, um, well, when the wind came a few weeks ago, it blew our trash can. We watched it just pick it up and blow it in this open field over here. And so yesterday I was going to try to find it. Um, we have a new one coming from Decatur Utilities, but I was like, hey, let's go find this one and we can have three trash cans now, even better. Less taking it out every week. So um, I'm going to find this and there's like a bunch of like really tall thorns. And so I have to kind of go around underneath these trees, but the trash can won't fit this way. And so I'm like, all right, let's go. And so I take the trash can and I'm just like plowing, you know, about a foot at a time over all these thorns and just clearing the way so I can just step. And like, like this is what I envision is like sin and brokenness and pain. And it is Jesus going before and clearing the way, taking the thorns on himself. He leads not in the way you would think, the pioneer, the captain. He leads by suffering. In fact, not only does he suffer, but our text says the suffering is what makes him complete. Now, the word perfect here is not implying that before suffering, that he was not perfect in the judicial sense of the word. What it is saying, this word perfect is whole or complete, that in order for the saving work of Christ to be complete and finished, he would have to suffer. He couldn't avoid it and go around it. He walked right into it. And just like we experience, family requires sacrifice. And there were never any more needy family members than you and me. 
but Jesus still did not cut us off. He did not keep his distance. He became like us. He knew it would require sacrifice, but he still came in the flesh. For him to bring many sons and daughters to glory, it required him first leaving glory. And he was willing to do so because he loved you and me as his brothers and sisters. And he's like, I'm not leaving them. We were the the ones distant. We were the ones, as we saw last week, who had rejected our father's good gifts, chose our own path, not only broke God's rules, but ultimately broke God's heart. We are like the prodigal son in the story who squanders everything. His father gives him an inheritance and he takes it and says, I'm going off to a distant country to try to find satisfaction apart from you. Happiness and pleasure, looking for it in all the wrong places. But unlike the story of the prodigal son, where you have an older brother who stays back home in self-righteousness to avoid the mess, he leaves the safety of his father's home and trudges out to find us in the mud and the muck and the mire, in the pig slop of our own mess. Jesus meets us there because he loves us. And he knew that to rescue us meant death. He knew for to become human, to bring us to glory, he would have to first walk through death. He told his disciples in Luke 24, he said, it was foretold by Moses and the prophets that it was all along was the plan. It was necessary, he even says, for the Messiah to suffer on the pathway to glory. But he was still willing to be forsaken by his own father so that we could be brought in as sons and daughters on the cross. Because Jesus becomes sin Like that's what we read in scripture, he becomes sin. So in that moment, he is completely set apart from the father. But this is so that we might become the righteousness of Christ completely set apart to the father. Even though we were his enemies, children of wrath is the language that we hear. Children of wrath, but he loves us as children of the father, even while we were still enemies. He endures the shame so that we could be welcomed into the family of God shame-free. That doesn't happen in earthly families. If you've been estranged and you come back home, there's a period of shame that might hang over you for years, but not in the family of God. He absorbs all the evil and the injustice and the sin onto his own shoulders. And in doing so, he is cut off. He is kicked out of the family. In verse 12, there is a quote from Psalm 22. It says, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. You heard it read earlier. It's a beautiful, familial picture. The people of God praising together in the assembly, Jesus as our brother. But if you read this Psalm, and when the New Testament writers quote Psalms, they they know you're gonna have the context there and you should go look at the context. If you read the psalm, before that, all of Psalm 22 is cries of agony and distress and grief. And the psalm starts, it's the same one that Jesus quotes on the cross. And it starts by him saying, my God, my God, why have you 
forsaken me. This was the moment that Jesus dreaded when he begged for the cup to pass from him. This was the darkest hour of history. And the psalm starts there. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then it's just this deep cries for help and deliverance. My, my bones are, are broken. And like all this just begging. And the psalm reaches its darkest. And the poem cries out for salvation. Look at it in Psalm 22, verse 21 and 22. He says, save me from the lion's mouth from the horns of wild oxen. So it just builds up to this point. And then we hear it. It says, you answered me. And then he says, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you in the assembly. See, even though Jesus was momentarily forsaken, he was not ultimately left alone. Jesus' cries for deliverance were answered on resurrection morning. And the trust that he put in his father was validated when the stone is rolled away and he got back up out of the grave and accomplished salvation for all. And he's not alone. He's bringing many sons and daughters to glory. This is the work he's doing for our good and for his glory. Jesus creates a new family through his suffering for the good of his siblings and the glory of God. Jesus comes through suffering into resurrection glory and he brings us with him. God hears the cries of those calling out for help. And this is the offer to trust not in your own works or your own devices, but to simply believe in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And when this happens, we are immediately made family. No matter your social status, no matter what you've done, no matter your earthly status of family, you are welcomed in. You have hope. Once enemies, now sons and daughters of God and brothers and sisters to Jesus. And again, it's not an embarrassing thing that this kid finally come home that I'm a little of embarrassed of the life he's lived. No, like the father is sitting on the porch just waiting for you. And he is ecstatic to welcome you home. He's the one that says, let's get the freaking party started. Let's start the celebration, invite all the friends, get the music going, and we're going to dance because he loves us. And the beautiful thing is, unlike the story of the prodigal where the older brother is angry and self-righteous and stands off in the distance and says, I've done all these things. I've served you. I've stayed faithful. And now look what you're giving them. I deserve that. That is not Jesus. He is at the center of the dance floor, partying with us because he's just glad we're in his presence. This is what he prayed in John 17. I and you and, and the father and me and us all together, father, son, spirit, and us invited into that union. It's crazy. But that's what Jesus does. I love it. He, there's no shame at all. At the end of our text, he says, here I am with the children God gave me. I love the boldness. 
Here we are. Let's go. Like flashing neon sign. Here I am. Jesus will not lose any of the children that the father has given him. And he rejoices in our reunion, our return home. And this is the good news. You have a home. No matter what you've done, no matter your past, no matter who's abandoned you in the past, in Christ, you now have a secure place. And if you've got that in your life, you know how grateful you are for it. A place where you can just come home and rest. You have that in Christ. And he's preparing a place when that's realized for you, that's perfect, just like you like it. It will be incredible. You know, that's what we're told in Hebrews 10 later. He says, God is not ashamed to be called our God. So similar language. And he says, because he's preparing for us an eternal city whose builder and maker is God. Like this, this is the eternal heavenly new heaven, new earth, the new Jerusalem, where we will dwell together as a diverse family made up of every tribe, tongue, and nation. And I love it because this is what I love about the family of God. It is not just this Mayberry picture of family that ignores the reality of suffering and pain in the world. The scriptures don't do that. God acknowledges the brokenness, both in your own heart and around you, the hurt that you faced, and he deals with all of it holistically. That's what you read in Revelation. No more sin, no more tears, no more pain, no more grief, no more sin in our hearts, no more injustice in the world. It is the beautiful family of God. And God says, I will dwell with them. They will be my people. The one who conquers will be my son. And the way we conquer is through Christ alone. And God is the ultimate protective dad. He deals with all pain and evil. Like, like the vision, the gates of the city are always open. You know what that means? There's no danger. There's no locking doors in the eternal kingdom of God. There's no fear of, of harm or evil. Perfect harmony. No more fighting with our siblings. No more mass shootings. No more unjust killings. No more mothers losing their sons and having to worry about their safety. No more hatred and strife because our older brother deals with it all and he cast it all outside the kingdom. No more temptation of sin, it's gone. And that future vision that got started on the cross and resurrection, the work is completed and then we live in the already not yet like there's, it's true, but then we're waiting for the consummation and realization of it. That breaks forth into the presence and we can actually begin to experience this now. Psalm 27 says, even if your father and mother abandon you, the Lord will care for you. This is what the church is to be. We're nothing special, but we are to be a place to those who are lonely, a place of healing for the hurting, full of spiritual fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters and sons and daughters who love each other, not only in spite of their differences, but we actually see our differences as a gift to more fully display the glory of God. But here's the thing, I can call us to this. We can talk about it as a good idea, right? Like your boss at work, they're like, we're a family. You're like, no, I'm just clocking in and clocking out. Like, I hope I get along with you guys, but let's, let's be real. Like, this isn't a family. That's not, the, like, like, that's all it is if we don't have the very spirit of God among us changing our hearts. But with Jesus, with him pioneering, going before us, this vision of the new family is actually possible. 
Jesus can change our hearts. We can forgive like Christ forgave us. We can bear one another's burdens like Christ bore ours. We can weep with those that weep like Christ wept with us. Recently, at a church that we're close to um, in Madison, there was a, a tragedy. A young man, he was in ninth grade and he tragically lost his life. It was just a few weeks ago. Um, as you can imagine, it was devastating uh, for the church community, but also especially for the parents. Um, and, and I share this because during the young man's celebration of life, the young man's mom got up and publicly with great courage said she wanted to speak. And I wanted to take a moment and just kind of summarize her words for you because I think they exemplify a small microcosm of what the new family of God can be in the here and the now. So through tears, through grief, this is what she said. She said, God has been very faithful to us. And when I say that, I don't mean that he gave us the answers to the prayers the way that we wanted them. But he answered us through the presence of his church. This church was started when a small group of people said, we wanna be a part of a place where people can be a mess, people can be needy, and we're gonna show up for it all. When Jesus was questioned by the Pharisees about why he hung out with what they considered scum, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have not come to those who think they are righteous, but those who know that they are sinners. This is the church God intended, preaching the gospel and being willing to be vulnerable. We need each other. No one gets through this life unharmed. No one is going to do it perfectly and there's going to be hurt, but we cannot do life in this broken world without community. The local church, the body of Christ is how God demonstrates his goodness and faithfulness to us. He promises never to leave us and he does that through the hands and feet of believers. And as I watched her share this in a moment of great pain and grief, I found myself joining her in her tears because this is what true family is. It's suffering, but it's also glorious. Jesus working through the ordinary average means of his people. We need you, you have a role to play. Like you might think you don't, but you have a role to play. And it's not for our own glory. This doesn't happen because we feel guilty. So let, me, let me sign up because they said they needed people and kids, so I better just do it. Let me just do this or I feel bad. Like this is like an overflow of the, the magnificent glory of the work of Christ that he has already accomplished this. He has made us family. And so we, we live out of that as members of God's household, displaying his multifaceted wisdom to the rulers and authorities in heaven, empowered by the spirit through us. And this is my prayer for a new Eden, that we can be a place for the hurting, the broken, the lonely, those who don't have a family. And as we gaze on and believe the good news of the gospel, as we, we reflect on that and that sinks down into our hearts that Jesus is not ashamed to be called our brother, 
then we can begin caring for each other. Not because we're like family, but because it's actually who Jesus has made us to 